This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Wednesday afternoon, February 7th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery are teaming up for a new sports streaming platform. We'll learn more in our next segment. But right now, in what some are calling the Taylor Swift effect, this year's Super Bowl will feature more commercials aimed at women. Let's discuss the trend with Tim Calkins, professor of marketing, at the Kellogg School of Management, Northwestern University. Tim, thank you for joining us today. Now, Super Bowl ads are planned almost a year in advance. So uh, how can you add Taylor Swift and the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Swifties uh, who will be watching the Super Bowl because of Travis Kelsey? How can you change at the very last minute to accommodate that new audience? Well, this will be a really interesting year for Super Bowl advertising. It will certainly reward the advertisers who developed campaigns that would resonate broadly and would resonate with women in particular. Uh, And so those advertisers are going to certainly be very happy with this. There is always some last minute jockeying on the Super Bowl in terms of who shows up to run an ad and what they're going to run. So we could see some shift. But to your point, a lot of this was planned well before we knew that Taylor Swift would be there and well before we knew that the Chiefs would be back in the game. And on top of that, uh, Taylor Swift and, and Travis Kelsey's relationship uh, kind of went public at the end of September. Uh, Fox was showing a, a lot of uh, 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 reaction shots of Taylor Swift in a suite at the uh, stadium in Kansas City, more or less because the the Chiefs were blowing out the Bears in that particular game, and and there then the, and what was happening on the field was not uh, all that interesting. And even uh, when you have a storyline like that develop at the beginning of the season, where does that show up in the advertising life cycle around football? Well, it is uh, complicated for these advertisers given the long lead time on, on some of these. I think, though, the advertisers this year are very happy with the way things have turned out. Uh, the added viewership, the added excitement, I think is going to bring in a lot of people, and it's going to you know, make the Super Bowl even more valuable for these advertisers that are that are out there. You know, it's it's interesting though, the Super Bowl reaches such a wide demographic of people that you do see a lot of brands that skew towards women stepping up and advertising on the game. And certainly we're going to see that this year with the advertisers and also the messaging that we're going to see run on Sunday. We're talking to Tim Calkins, professor of marketing, the Kellogg School of Management, Northwestern University. Uh, when when uh, Don Draper and, and Roger Sterling and Pete Campbell and all the guys at Sterling Cooper, Draper Price uh, get together to formulate their Super Bowl advertising for the upcoming game, uh, probably in February of Mar- or March of the year before, uh, what what is going through their mind? What do they want to accomplish uh, when they are creating a Super Bowl ad? 
So developing these spots is is really complicated. So there are there are two things that really go into it. There's the, the strategic thinking. Uh, do we want to support our new product? Do we want to change how people think about our brand? What's sort of our strategic goal? But then they also do a whole step where they say, what's happening in the country and how are people feeling and what are the trends? that are out there. And then they try to bring those two things together, which makes Super Bowl ads so interesting to look at to see what do they decide to run. You know, M&M's, for example, is going to run uh, an interesting spot about uh, M&M's as a bit of a consolation if you know, for people who didn't win. It's a funny spot around uh, football players who didn't win the Super Bowl and uh, various things. But behind that is a bigger insight into how people are feeling and the fact that we've been through a rough couple of years and people are feeling like, you know, that, you know, they need a little bit of a reward and consolation. But that's the kind of insight that these advertisers are tapping into. You don't think about it until you see it. And then you're like, shoot, they really are thinking ahead and really digging deeply into what people are experiencing. And then very quickly, uh, is, the, is the Super Bowl ad something that is so researched and, and so focus grouped and developed that you could not pivot at the last minute and come up with a spot uh, in, the, in, the, in the past two weeks that is specifically references the fact that Taylor Swift will be at the game? You can technically do it, so you can produce an ad at the last, uh, very last minute. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw uh, some of that show up on the game. And people said, if we could do it, it would be great. Probably some subtle references, but look for that on Sunday because it's technically possible. And, you know, some advertisers might do that as a way to attract a little bit of extra attention. Tim Calkins, professor of marketing, Kellogg School of Management, Northwestern University. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. A new sports streaming platform being launched this fall will involve ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery. Let's talk about what brought these competing factions together with Dan Rayburn, independent media analyst covering streaming uh, for the website streamingmediablog.com based in New York. Dan, thank you for joining us today. And what is the strategic thinking at play here as these three media giants join forces to put all of their streaming sports properties under one roof. Hey, Rob, thanks for having me. Well, the idea here is that they want to go after people who have never had pay TV. So there's cord cutters and there's cord neverers, as we call them. And they're targeting sports fans that have never had pay TV but are interested in sports. That sounds great on paper. The problem is that this is still going to be missing all the Sunday night football games because those are on Paramount. Uh, it's going to be missing additional games in terms of Saturday that CBS has. So this will not have all NFL games, which, as we know, is the most popular sport in the U.S. from a viewership standpoint. We don't know how much it'll cost. I'm guessing 40 to $50 a month. So there's a lot of unanswered questions right now. And, and, and there, you will get a lot of sports because if you have the ESPN app or the Fox Sports app and you're a big fan of college basketball or or maybe Wednesday night baseball or, or games that are covered uh, by these various entities, they'll be right there for you. I have noticed there's one big name that's not on the list, and that's Comcast, which means, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Sunday night football is not uh, inside this package, nor will you find all of the regional baseball telecasts that the uh, NBC Sports uh, properties carry across the country, including Chicago. That's right. So what we're hearing is that the companies involved here felt that if they added additional content partners, think of think of a Paramount or an NBC, 
that the cost of the package would be so high that consumers wouldn't be willing to pay for it. So we're waiting to get some more information, not knowing pricing. We don't even know what this package is going to be called as of now or who's going to be running it. There's going to be a new executive management team. On paper, this potentially makes sense. But at the same time, ESPN still plans to roll out another app on top of this for a direct-to-consumer app for ESPN. So the market is getting extremely confusing for, for sports fans. We're talking to Dan Rayburn of StreamingMediaBlog.com about this uh, new streaming sports deal involving ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery. So you get the ESPN networks, you get the Fox Sports 1, 2, and 3. Uh, you also get the uh, TBS Sports Properties and TNT. So a lot of games you can watch, but it doesn't seem to solve the problem, even at a price point of 40 to fi- 45 to $50, which is one of the figures uh, that's been thrown around out there. It doesn't solve the problem that cable TV sports had retransmission fees and at one point they had exclusive real estate. I mean, they could charge whatever they want for uh, for commercial advertising because they had all the pricing power. And even in this case, that, that doesn't... Um, uh, uh, replace the money that's lost uh, to to the fact that uh, the traditional cable television bundle is in decline. That's accurate. So this is a total of 14 linear networks, as we call it. But I think the, the bigger takeaway here is for for you and I and the listeners who are sports fans, this doesn't make con- you know getting our sports content easier. Uh, there's still going to be plenty of games you can't get because Thursday night football for NFL is on Amazon. Friday night baseball is on Apple TV+. So the idea that fans can go to one place to get all the content they want from all their teams, from every sports league, while that's the holy grail of what we want as sports fans, this will not solve that problem. Dan Rayburn, independent media analyst covering streaming for the website streamingmediablog.com based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, Ford is reassessing its plans for electric vehicles. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Ford CEO Jim Farley says the company is rethinking its electric vehicle strategies. Let's get the latest from John McElroy, automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv in Detroit. John, thank you for joining us today. And all throughout 2022, one through line in all of our electric vehicle conversations was that the Detroit Three were essentially retooling their entire operation to meet this electric vehicle future head on. And is that still a long term goal? Well, yes, it is. It still is a long term goal. But the goalposts just got moved farther out in times uh, in terms of time. And, you know, look, they were not revamping everything overnight. They've been spending tens of billions of dollars to to come out with a full line of uh, EVs. But uh, look, uh, the growth rate, and that's what we have to emphasize, the growth rate in EVs is not what it was a year ago. And so they're adjusting accordingly. It seems like you had the early, early adopters, the ones who purchased the Teslas, and then you have the early adopters, the ones who feel comfortable jumping into the EV space, whether it's the the the, the F one fifty Lightning or the Mustang or, uh, or or Illinois' very own Rivian. Uh, those types of electric cars taking advantage of the uh, 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 of the tax breaks, and then you have the rest of the car consuming public or the car driving public that looks at the price tag even with the tax break and says. Uh, not yet. I'm not, not, I'm not ready. You're exactly right, Rob. I mean, uh, the, the early adopters and the early, early adopters, as you call them, uh, tend to be up more upscale people. They've, they've got the income to go out and buy these uh, electric vehicles. 
as you go more mainstream, the EVs that are out there right now, by and large, are too expensive for most people. Now, having said that, there's another generation, a second generation of EVs and even batteries coming in about uh, two to three years' time. Those vehicles will be a whole lot more affordable, and they'll have longer range and faster charging and all that stuff. But they're not here right now. And so people are very intelligent when it comes to spending their hard-earned money, and they're not going to buy something that just doesn't fit their needs. Maybe in three years they will, but they're not doing it right now. And and outside of the the, the concerns over cost and uh, over over you know that that range anxiety, um, do people also talk about the potential resale value of these cars because they are expensive? And as we saw in the case of uh, Hertz, when they dumped a, a good chunk of their Tesla fleet, uh, a lot of car buyers think about the resale value uh, when they, when they're buying new in the dealership. Yeah, no, that's exactly right, and so. You know, the the resale value, what they call the residual value in industry speak, that's a big concern. And that's why I've always recommend to anybody uh, looking at getting an EV right now, go and lease it. Do not buy, lease it. Because at the end of your lease, I guarantee you, there's going to be new EVs out there with a lower price tag, longer range, and faster charging. And if you lease it, you do not have to worry about the resale value. That's the worry of the the leasing company. John McElroy, automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv in Detroit. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, the sometimes tricky relationship involving couples and money. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. News Radio 1059. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. The community is reacting after a round of anti Semitic flyers appeared in a Northside neighborhood. A Marine helicopter reported missing in California. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, making sure couples are on the same page with money. And fast food doesn't necessarily equal cheap food these days. Business, the markets are higher and gaining some altitude. The Dow is up 216 points. The Nasdaq is up 148 and the S&P 500 is up 43. We have 43 degrees right now in Chicago under cloudy skies. At 1231, topping our news at the half hour, police are investigating flyers with anti-Semitic messages placed on dozens of cars in the Lincoln Park neighborhood yesterday. Second Ward Alderman Brian Hopkins tells CBS2 it's connected to anger over the Israel-Hamas war. There's an escalation in anger and a lot of that is now being targeted uh, towards Jewish residents of, of our city. And it's unacceptable. It needs to stop. We all need to come together and put an end to it. Around 50 handwritten flyers were found along Magnolia Avenue on a two and a half block stretch near Webster. 
A U.S. military helicopter is missing in California. The details from CBS News correspondent Cammie McCormick. The super stallion with five Marines on board was traveling from Nevada to California when it was reported overdue. The Marine Corps is conducting search and rescue operations along with the San Diego County Sheriff's Department and the Civil Air Patrol. But the weather has hampered those search efforts. The crew was assigned to the 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing at Station Miramar in San Diego. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are higher today. We're joined by Larry Adam, Chief Investment Officer with Raymond James in Baltimore, Maryland. Larry, thank you for joining us today. And uh, investors appear to be in a buying mood. And what's driving that? Well, I think the main thing is that earnings continue to come in at a pretty healthy clip. Uh, And if you just look, just recently, we just had an auction of bonds, and it went really well, which means that you didn't see a spike in interest rates. And I think the market's looking at that very favorably. When uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell, and he's been saying this for two years, that the entire process of raising interest rates to uh, slow down inflation and potentially lowering interest rates later this year, that he will be data dependent every step of the way. And we talk about uh, uh, the various, you know, uh, uh, alphabet uh, indices, uh, PPI, CPI, uh, PCE indices like that. But does he also take a look at um, how this policy uh, affects the stock market and affects the bond market and making sure that uh, bond yields uh, remain in balance, essentially, and that uh, the market is either uh, not too far out ahead or potentially behind where the Fed uh, policy is going? No, I think he absolutely keeps one eye on on the markets. And the reality is that you said, does he keep an eye on interest rates? And clearly, this is a very interest rate-driven economy. I mean, if you think back not too long ago when the 10-year Treasury yield got approached 5%, you saw mortgage rates at 7%. That started to slow the housing market down and, and made this economy a lot weaker. So I think he does keep an eye on that. He does want to make sure that there's not too much optimism built into the equity market. And that was one of the things that I think he tried to correct in his most recent 60-minute uh, interview where he wanted to say, hey, wait a minute, we're not going to be cutting in March. Let's wait to see what that data looks like. And we'll probably start sometime around the middle of this year cutting interest rates. We are going, we're uh, taking a look at the today's market activity with Larry Adam, Chief Investment Officer with Raymond James in Baltimore. And it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, earnings season so far is going better than expected because there are some other people who are saying that uh, uh, the, 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 uh, it's it's below expectations or their expectations. And what's the general kind of overall theme uh, in, in, in these quarterly reports uh, that we're seeing, uh, not only in, their, in their, their numbers for the fourth quarter of last year, but their guidance for this year? Uh, generally, how are, is corporate America viewing 2024, especially after uh, being rather pessimistic going into 23? Well, I think there's really three themes that are going on. Uh, The market continues to be led by these mega cap tech stocks, and their outlooks continue to remain very healthy. And you've seen that not only in their earnings, which have been very healthy, but also in their performance. I think the second theme that has really come is the fact that China is struggling. And if you look at the companies that have had exposure in China to drive their revenues, they've actually underperformed because they've been disappointed with the amount of growth that's taken place in China. And then the third thing, underlying theme, is the fact that the consumer has been pretty resilient. And whether you want to look at credit card companies or companies that actually sell goods, 
for the most part, the consumer has been pretty resilient through uh, at least the end of last year in in driving uh, the spending of this economy. And then very quickly, I want to touch on the banking sector because, um, and this is a story that's been going on since uh, since last year, and that is the gigantic banks, the big banks, uh, are, are weathering this interest rate environment fairly well, but the smaller banks are, are still having some problems, and that's showing up in these uh, quarterly reports. Yeah, I think that obviously there's this one bank in, in New York, this regional bank that's starting to have some issues, and that's leading to issues about whether or not commercial real estate is going to be a big problem on these banks. Uh, I do talk to, when I talk to investors, I always talk to them about the difference between this and the great financial crisis. And the two big differences are that this has been a known issue, the fact that real estate prices were going to likely come down in the commercial real estate space, particularly as not as many people were going back to the office. And then the second thing is that back in the great financial crisis, everybody had mortgages and nobody really knew who was holding those mortgages because they were being sold. Well, when you have commercial real estate, it tends to be a one-on-one relationship with that existing community bank or that regional bank. So as we sit here right now, they're probably trying to work out a lot of those issues. So I don't think you're going to be a very big systematic risk to the economy like there was back in 2007, 2008. Larry Adam, Chief Investment Officer, Raymond James in Baltimore. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, preventing money from becoming a wedge in a relationship. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and this afternoon we're discussing the role of money in personal relationships. We're joined by Sandy Brager, who is the Chief Client Officer and Partner of Experient in San Francisco. Sandy, thank you for joining us us today. And when we have these conversations about money issues that could potentially derail relationships and marriages, we talk about uh, maybe some more of the underhanded things like secret accounts or secret credit cards or people spending money on the sly. But uh, some of the issues that could also become major uh, roadblocks in a relationship are a lot more, shall we say, normal, a lot more mundane Uh, discussions about uh, who would take care of children and things like that. There are a plethora of money conversations to be had, Rob, and what we uh, talk a lot with our clients about at Experian is the importance of learning how to have productive money conversations with each other and having them often. Um, Developing those productive money conversation muscles helps couples really navigate through not only where each of them is coming from, but what their vision is for the future, what they're trying to achieve, and the expectations that they want to set for themselves and each other. And part of that, it seems like, uh, Sandy, that this is part of your own personal evolution, that uh, when you meet somebody, you may be at a different phase in your life, and you may not know that you will feel a different way about a particular issue until you actually encounter that. Uh, that that's right, Rob. We all come to uh, our relationships with whatever background we've had, um, and, and for some of us, it we're meeting people when we're young in life and others, you know, maybe we're meeting the love of our life after we've had decades of life experience. So a lot of how we feel about money and think about money is based upon our experiences growing up, whether money was discussed in our home or hidden uh, in our own life experiences, decisions we've made, what's been going on in the society around us as we've been growing up and living our lives. 
So having these money conversations as a couple is important. And I don't think that, that couples need to get financially naked at the outset. I think a better, uh, a better way forward is to build on this foundation of money conversations. So start with some general curiosity, with storytelling. Um, one of my favorite questions is, what was money like for you when you were growing up? That just opens the door to having these conversations and, and building upon that over time. And then once you get that out of the way, once you establish a foundation, um, what are the bigger hurdles as that relationship grows and evolves? It seems like uh, when you get to the point of a child, you, you know, you, you have your first child and all of a sudden there's this, this discussion of uh, how do we take care of child care? Do we go to daycare? Does somebody go part time? Does somebody uh, stay home and put their career on hold? Uh, that seems like a, a very large hurdle to overcome, even in the best of circumstances, because like I said before, there are some things that you may not know about yourself until you actually uh, you look it in the face. That's right. That's right. And there's so many things coming at us on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, and money is always wrapped up in those things. So I think once a couple has their find, their money talk foundation, the next best area to move into is is structure. How are we going to handle our finances? Are we keeping things totally separate or are we commingling it all? Are we doing some sort of hybrid approach where we have yours, mine, and ours? And what, what are the responsibilities that each of us are going to take in uh, that structure? And that can change over time. So when a couple decides that they want to expand and have children, they have this structure, this system in place that can help them navigate those conversations. And of course, talking with a financial advisor or a money coach or even a therapist can be very helpful helpful for couples who need a little assistance with these uh, decision-making and, and communication processes. And then on top of that, it's an entirely different conversation when you switch from uh, somebody has to put their career goals or their earning power on hold for a child versus uh, one per, one per, one side of that couple uh, may have to uh, go part-time to, to take care of an aging relative. And that's an entirely different conversation. That, that's right. We see this oftentimes in our, our work with clients who are corporate executives, family business owners, inheritors, and, and entrepreneurs. Oftentimes there is a, a changing of roles. I work with a couple who um, the husband had, had made a lot of money in a business that he created and the wife put her career on hold. When he sold the business, she moved into action and re- rebooted her career and he he stayed home with the kids and they work things out that way. So that's, that's very common um, with children. And the same thing is true with aging parents. And again, the money conversations are going to be really important here because not only is it a diversion of time and attention, but, and, and maybe stepping away from earnings for a while, but it can also mean spending more money on relatives and other people that you weren't really planning. So the couple really needs to be on the same page and have um, the same vision for, for how they're navigating through. Sandy Brager, Chief Client Officer and Partner with Experient in San Francisco. Thank you for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday. And still to come, a look at fast food pricing. It's not as much of a bargain as it used to be. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Inflation has been especially painful when it comes to the cost of food, and that's extending to a former sanctuary, the fast food restaurant. Let's discuss rising prices and the general absence of cheap meals with 
Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach in Chicago. Izzy, uh, thanks for joining us today. And if, if you want to get traction on social media, I've noticed all you got to do is uh, post a picture of your receipt uh, from some fast food <laughs> restaurant. And all of a sudden, hundreds of thousands of people uh, will comment about their own experiences. And sometimes uh, that is an honest representation of uh, your bill at a restaurant. And other times it may be uh, this is what you pay after you use a uh, third-party delivery service. But the bottom line is uh, restaurants are dealing with the rising cost of food just like the rest of us. Absolutely. And it is certainly a hard hit to McDonald's when somebody goes on TikTok and shows a receipt for the hash brown that they just bought that cost $3, where pre-COVID, $3 could get you a whole breakfast. And, and, and the, the story of fast food chains, I mean, whether it's McDonald's or KFC or Pizza Hut, is that they are so large, they have pricing power when it comes to their distributors. But even in this particular instance, uh, that size uh, just cannot help them uh, when it comes to the rising cost of materials, especially uh, beef these days. Yeah. And, you know, very quickly, we, <clears throat> you know, we may not look at fast food like McDonald's, uh, like we did pre-COVID. I mean, that, that world is long over. And McDonald's, while they're the giant and can purchase food much, much cheaper, the one thing that they can't do is control uh, states and cities that are moving uh, wages substantially high. So in California, come April, uh, wages for fast food employees are going to jump $4 an hour, taking every fast food worker to $20 an hour. And that's what McDonald's is fighting. Not the food fight quite as much as the labor fight. And then when it comes, even before you have uh, mandates and legislation about uh, minimum wages uh, from cities and states and and, 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 and and that side of the equation, they also had to, 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 to provide raises uh, just to stay ahead of the great resignation because a lot of people who may have had a fast food gig pre-COVID uh, now had a lot more options that paid uh, considerably more money. Right. And that is starting to be less competitive. I mean, they're, you know, mandating $20 an hour is going to put them out way ahead of what other people are uh, paying. But the one thing, if there is a silver lining in this whole thing with what's going on with McDonald's and fast food is all of a sudden we're seeing that low income, you know, uh, individuals who used to go to McDonald's or fast food all the time because it was cheaper are now spending more money at the grocery store and eating at home. So that may mean that this is a time for uh, a healthier uh, diet. And that's all because of uh, low prices going up very quickly. Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today.